0: Well, greetings, folks. Welcome to today's webinar from the Council for British Research in the Levant. Today's topic is uh, we're going to have a book launch by Dr. Gabriel Varghese. His new book that came out of Palgrave Press in March 2020 is called Palestinian Theater in the West Bank Our Human Faces. This broadcast is coming to you from East Jerusalem and the Kenyan Institute, which is the East Jerusalem branch of the Council for British Research in the Levant, which has its headquarters in London, as well as center here in East Jerusalem and one in Amman, Jordan. The Council for British Research in the Levant is an independent British educational charity that supports uh, independent uh, research in social sciences and humanities and we receive the bulk of our funding from the British Academy. Uh, we're very excited today to have an event uh, that is a little bit different from some of the previous events that we've done in the past, but uh, overall, which basically tries to shed light on some of the role, some some of the best academic research that is coming out these days uh, that is pertinent to the Levant. And today we have a very interesting book on Palestinian theatre, as I said, by Dr. Gabriel Varghese. Uh, As I said, the book came out just this past March. Dr. Varghese is a former CBRL postdoc fellow whose research engages in anti, post, and decolonial theater, performance, and literature, and questions they raise about social movements, dramaturgies of urban life, and regimes of gender, sexuality, and race. He's also a playwright, theater director, and co-artistic director of Sandpit Arts, an award-winning platform for producing film, music, and performance events, and holds a PhD from Exeter University. Today's event will be a discussion between Dr. Varghese and uh, Dr. Kristin Flade, who herself is a performance scholar and art author. The focus of Dr. Flade's research is ethnographic and artistic works, uh, particularly their focus on representations of violence, political conflict, and the potential of negotiating the struggle for human rights in performance, Theatre and the Arts. She's the author of her own book entitled *The Good Pain? Question mark, applied Theatre and Social Circus in Palestine*, which came out in 2018. Christian holds a PhD from the Free University in Berlin and is also joining us from Berlin, and Dr. Varghese from London, and myself, as I said previously, from East Jerusalem. I will hand off now, okay? With that uh, short but brief introduction to our webinar today, I hand things off to Dr. Flake. Take it away.
1: Thank you very much for the introduction and for setting up this beautiful occasion. Um, I'm very happy to be here and to be uh discussant to Gabriel. And um, I'm really, uh, I don't know, I just want to delve right in with um, also Tofik how you mentioned that uh, maybe Palestinian theater is not the predominant subject of the <laughs> uh, Center for the British Research in the Levant um, By um, kind of contextualizing a bit what has been my own starting point, but also with Gabriel and I, um, who shared fieldwork during um, our time in in Palestine, um, what uh, was a question that we've encountered most frequently, um, namely, what they have theatre, um, which kind of was a bit of an irritation to begin with. It seemed it seemed like somewhat belittling to some extent, maybe somewhat surprised um, in other scenarios, and and perhaps really only just blatantly ignorant because. Which culture does not know culture. (laughs) Um, Mm. And um, I think for me personally, that was really kind of a very strong motivation. Of course, um, Palestinians have culture and of course they have theatre. And I think that um, uh, kind of leads me to uh, ask you, Gabriel, um, you've been asked that question in different contexts and perhaps um, you could just kind of jump right in and explain uh, or just elaborate a bit um, how you felt when you received such a question.
2: Yeah, I get asked this question all the time. Um, When I was doing my PhD and people uh, would ask what the topic is, and you say, you know, Palestinian theatre, that's exactly the first response that people give. What? They have theatre. Um, and I think that kind of, and it's happened everywhere, actually, not just in the UK, but in Palestine, in the West Bank, Jerusalem, the 48 territories, you know, people just seem to be uh, unfamiliar with the the very idea that uh, Palestinians living in the West Bank would also be uh, producing um, theatre works. And I think that kind of um, speaks to the sorts of stereotypes there are about Palestinians, either they're Uh, terrorists or their victims Um, so the the very discourse on Palestine and Palestinians seems to be kind of um, uh, reverberating across these two uh, these two uh, nodes Um, so suddenly you have to introduce to people the idea that you know people living under settler colonial occupation are also capable of creating, appreciating, discussing, reproducing works of art. And it's not just theatre, of course, that gets produced in Palestine. There are all kinds, you know, textiles as well, visual arts, film, and so on and so forth. It's a question I've had. Um, I mean, the, the, the most surprising is when uh, West Bankers ask me, because when I first went out on Fieldwork, I expected, because we hear the Freedom Theatre Ashtar, uh, so often in the West because they have so many uh, touring productions going on. So when you're actually in Palestine and no one's heard of these theatres, it, it kind of takes takes you takes you back a bit. Um, when I was in Janine um, a couple of years ago, um, the, the the Freedom Theatre um, is basically based in Janine refugee camp. And then, of course, you have Janine Town. And between the two... Um, it's, it's probably 10, 15 minute walk, but I came across so many people in Janine Town who had no idea that there was this world famous theatre, you know, just a, a 10 minute walk away.
1: Yeah, I think that was pretty much also um, my uh, experience. But you you mentioned two companies already, like the Freedom Theatre and Ashtar Theatre, which you also said, like, had this um, kind of world famous uh, claim to them. Um, When you first encountered Palestinian theatre, was that on an international stage in in the context in Britain, for example, or um, did you actually travel to Palestine first and then had your... Yeah. The
2: the first time I saw um, a production, a, a play produced by Palestinians, which was Richard II, at the um, at Shakespeare's Shakespeare's Globe's uh, Globe to Globe festival in twenty twelve, um, and I mean that was the first time I'd seen Palestinians on stage. Um, and and coming back to your earlier question, I have to admit that I was also one of those people that was surprised when I first sort of encountered Palestinian theatre, that there was this tradition in, in Palestine. Um, so, um, and the, um, so, so when I was in Palestine, um, the, I mean, I was a bit more sort of acclimatized to it, but the, the first time I saw Palestinians on the stage, uh, uh, um, uh, that was a bit of a surprise. And it was interesting that they picked uh, Richard II. Um, because it 's such a complicated play, but it speaks to so many different dynamics across the um, uh, what we refer to as the Arab world.
1: Yeah. Um, You just mentioned um, in passing the tradition of theatre in Palestine, and I think um, for the audience to maybe not get a very comprehensive overview of everything that's in the book, but what is certainly in the book and to have several entry points, I think that is our task today. And I think uh, what I was really impressed by is how detailedly and really how comprehensively you managed to to give like this beautiful history uh, or historical account of how theatre um, practices, how performance practices, applied theatre practices really um, stemmed from uh, decades back and before, but what you focus on in your first chapter is really like showing um, there is a tradition without a doubt, and um, uh, you you show how from the very beginning those companies, um, and you focus on five of them, and they maybe would ask you to, to give like a small account of how you decided for that scope, but um, how all these companies have like really different agendas with them in, in terms of like um, their own aesthetic interests, let's say, mm. but also how they are generally working under uh, a frame that you also throughout the book try to um, uh, follow as a threat, which is like creating and maintaining maybe challenging narratives of uh, and by and about Palestinians. Um, and with that kind of performative practice contributing to the national identity and um to the national liberation struggle of palestine as at large and i think um perhaps uh, we, we cannot detail i suppose the the um everything in the in the historical account but um i think something that really struck me was how um there was kind of fine tuning in, in, in let's say the the um companies um, mm, outset, to, to really first and foremost cater to the political needs of their audiences and really respond to those. So perhaps you could, you could give like a small um, example of, of when you first heard about this in, in the accounts that you um, deliver in the book, which are your um, conversations with practitioners about their uh, past and present. Um, so what, what struck you as, as a really remarkable example of that?
2: okay oh, um uh, i mean that's a lot to uh to unpack um i suppose my my point of departure or my starting point in the book is the end of uh the first intifada in 93 um and the theatre companies that arose um uh, during the oslo period and thereafter but, in order to discuss those, um, i um, 've had to, in the book, go back to the 70s because the kind of acti- uh, the, uh, the theater troops in the '70s were actually laying the groundwork for the the sort of companies and works that came that came afterwards so for example, the founders of Ashtar theater were, were also trained under um, uh, the Hakawati company, uh, Francois Abu Salim, um, and, in, and not just training, but they helped to build the theatre, like physically. They, they, they physically built the, um, uh, redesigned and refurbished what is now the Palestine National Theater Building. Um, but of course, theater in Palestine has a much longer tradition. So it doesn't just go back to the 70s. Uh, my going back to post 67 allowed me to talk about the 80s and the 90s. But really research by people like Helen Assar, for example, um, provides evidence that there's been theater in Palestine from the late 19th century. And of course, um, all, all across uh, what we refer to as the Arab world, there are different kinds of performance traditions. There's the Hakawati storytelling uh, tradition. There's the, uh, the Karagoz, the shadow puppetry um, related uh, very, uh, very much related to the, the sort of performances that are taking place uh, in Ottoman Turkey. Um, I mean, uh, you know, one of the things I was really surprised by was that the first performance of Hamlet, for example, in, the, in anywhere uh, across the Arab world was in 1907 uh, in Gaza. And of course, I mean, there are reasons why you would pick, you know, under, um, uh, given the sort of circumstances that Palestinians were living in at the time, um, and the idea that uh, that Zionist immigrants were coming in and stealing the land. there's a kind of birthright sort of element in Hamlet, isn't there? So there, there's a reason for putting on these kinds of plays. So, um, so, to answer the second part of your question, um, when, um, when I approached my, my research, which started off as a PhD, by the way, um, I, I decided to case study five theatre companies, the um, um, Ashtar Theatre in Ramallah, al Qasaba, again in Ramallah, Al-Hara Theatre based in Beit Shala, uh, the Freedom Theatre and Arrouad, also also ba- based, uh, based in uh, the IDA refugee camp. And the reason I chose these was because, um, first of all, they're, they're what I would call the major companies producing works at the moment, in the sense that they have had um, a continuous delivery of outputs from, their, from, from when they were founded. Um, they have established premises and they have global links as well. So it's not just... Um, performing at festivals around the world. They have links to chapters um, in different countries that, that uh, fundraise for them, that do publicity for them, that help bring productions across. So, um, so, the, so, so in a sense, the book is um, uh, a kind of uh, macro level study. This isn't to say that these are the only companies in Palestine producing theatre, there are so many, and within the last kind of two or three years, many others have come up, uh, have have been established all across the West Bank and East Jerusalem as well, but at the time that I was uh, working on the PhD and writing the book, these were actually the ones with the highest, the, 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 the kind of global sort of uh, profile
1: so I think um, we, we understand uh, well kind of the the scope in terms of the um, geographical also limitation that that um, you you gave yourself and your research endeavor um, just um, to be, before we delve in more in terms of the content of the book um would you comment uh, briefly about your methodological approach in in terms of like um, your your um, uh, you've You've done this PhD in the Drama Department at Exeter University, your background is in different disciplines, so, so how did you navigate uh, approaching this subject on an academic level? Um, mm.
2: um, I mean, it, it kind of uh, took a while to find my sort of footing. Um, but I suppose, in terms of methodology, I was very much interested in a performance analysis kind of approach, so actually being in rehearsal rooms, uh, speaking to actors, watching performances, rewatching performances, speaking to playwrights where I could, to directors, and also audiences in the foyer and you know elsewhere um, so, so so that was the first thing um, the second thing was a kind of um, uh mixed methods sort of sort of approach so as well as kind of participant observation in workshops and um, so on um um interviewing the the theatre going public um not, not many of those um interviews made it into the book but that's kind of i, I suppose you sort of live and learn you sort of refine uh, your interviews as you as you as you go along um so the aim in fact of uh using this methodology was to uh, centre the voices of Palestinian theatre makers themselves. Um, so much of um, research in the humanities is kind of theory-led, and this is a huge conversation now within um, humanities disciplines in fieldwork. what comes first theory or the actual field work. Um, I, I, I kind of use the theoretical frame of um, Habermas's post-Habermas uh, public sphere theory to sort of ground my own thoughts. Um, but really throughout the book, what I've tried to do, the, the, the main methodology I've, I've tried to adopt was to bring the voices of the people I was speaking to and who, was, who were responding to me to the forefront.
1: Yeah, I think that is uh, very well readable. Actually, that you that you do this and that you try and really incorporate all those different voices, and uh, not only just the voices, but really also the faces—not in terms of a visual representation, but really mm. in the attempt of of um, humanising exactly uh, mm. practitioners uh, and and their experience, their their reports about struggles and perhaps mm. also. Uh, Great uh, achievements; it allows, in in kind of a really beautiful similarity to um, what you attest Palestinian theater to have a capacity of, namely to humanize and 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 to to uh, epidermalize I think is the term that you uh, sometimes use um, yeah. Palestinians and and their, mm-hmm. their their livelihoods, their lives, their their practices, and and their culture in in a way. And I think um, that kind of also um, brings me to to a, a question about. Um, collaboration, as a, as a bigger uh, term, um, we've discussed uh, before. We we uh, had this uh, having this w- webinar now, and we we've discussed a bit um, where we could lead you. <laughs> um, uh, and I think what you've just described is also a practice, an academic practice of collaborating with your. Um, um, subjects, if you will, and and to just really navigate what is the voice that did you, you yourself as an academic find when when researching, but also what is the the voice and space that you uh, inevitably kind of have to give and, and, and leave for for others to to fill with their own voices and and chime with their own words and um, stepping aside from the academic practice now, um, would you uh, focus on in in the later chapter of the book? is in fact uh, to show in, in really minute performance analysis and, and um, observations from, from rehearsals also um, is how um, practitioners in different ways try and collaborate with each other, with um, researchers who kind of give like a, a topic that they may want to uh, research and and learn more about. For example, you have this one um, project that that discusses women's issues um, and preceding the actual performance work was um, an academically interested woman who who wanted to do this research about um, how do Palestinian women um, live, what are their challenges, what are their daily experiences, and this in turn then led to a performance that was being set up. So this one kind of nurturing of uh, of actually the lived experience and con- context that then feeds back into a theater play um, or the writing of a play and eventually the, the devising of a performance, that kind of collaboration I find really interesting. But you do offer um, several other uh, collaboration um, practices um, and I think one of the most interesting for me personally in my my own research was also the collaboration with um, practitioners from abroad um, in terms of them um, coming in to join productions as, for example, uh, uh, directors or as playwrights, as producers, um, assistants, uh, but then also what you mentioned earlier, kind of um, as allies and ambassadors of Palestinian theatre abroad, uh, facilitating tours. So these three kinds of different plateaus of collaboration I think um, you you detail in, in in really beautiful examples and very concrete uh, observations but perhaps you could um, give a, a general thought of what this collaboration um, is it actually uh, is, is able to facilitate and if I understand correctly that devising of a, of a shared political language seems to be at the forefront of most practitioners when they decide to collaborate and perhaps you could speak a bit more about the, how they're collaborating.
2: So um, collaboration um, since the, um, since the late 90s has become, uh, so collaborative practices between theatre makers across continents and you know, very different sort of uh, geographic contexts as well, uh, social and geographic contexts, um, has become a big thing. Um, it, it's um, the 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 number of uh, international performances being toured and produced by Palestinian companies has risen exponentially. We we we've never seen this before. Um, before the 90s. So collaborative practices themselves are already um, hemmed in by questions around politics and ethics. So when you have um, a a British company or a British director going out to uh, a context such as Palestine um, and working with locals, what kinds of questions, political, ethical and um so on uh uh do they raise um, so the the two plays that in in the book that I look at with in uh, reference to this uh this question uh, are Ashtar's um uh, this flesh is mine, which was produced in collaboration with uh, british company border crossings um and that is um um, this Flesh is Mine is a, a, a kind of radical um, modern interpretation of Homer's Iliad, the, the Siege of Troy. So immediately when you think of the Siege of Troy, there are situations with which that resonates. The Siege of Gaza, for example. Um, even though the the, the, the script and, and the, the playwright Brian Woolland were very kind of adamant that um, that the the story wasn't an allegory of Palestine. Um, they 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 were very um, quick to accept that you know being performed by a Palestinian company, of course, is going to resonate with um, with the lives of Palestinians. Um, the other one um, that I that I looked at was um, the the Sign Is Our Stove, which was produced by. Um, the Freedom Theatre, I think it was back in 2013, which was um, uh, directed by two um, English um, theatre makers, a director and um, a playwright. Um, And of course, the other um, collaborative play was uh, Shakespeare's Sisters, which was produced by Alhara, um, with the Italian director uh, Floridia, um, sorry, I forget his surname. Um, so, so what I was trying to look at when when um, thinking through these uh, collaborations was to try and work out how um, theatre makers in such completely different um, political, economic, and social contexts um, navigate this huge task of putting on a performance event you know, uh, and and not just the the task of uh, performing, directing, scenography and so on, but just producing the text of the play. How does that take place? What conversations do they have? What do they negotiate? What are they navigating around? Um, So what I find, what I found in my research, and I have to sort of point out that this is, these are my ideas. I don't present them as absolutes. And I would be horrified if anyone took these ideas as absolutes. What I hope is that other people might take the book and develop it and find other things as well. Because since I wrote the book, theatre, the the landscape has altered somewhat. Um, So um, I started to notice that um, the the creators in the room were developing three kinds of languages. So the aesthetic language, uh, which I used to refer to the, um, the product itself, the, the event, the performance. Um, the, um, they were also creating a methodological language, which is the actual process itself. So how are they talking uh, about plays during rehearsals? How are they sort of um, analyzing the text? How are they discussing character? How are they discussing scene and so on and so forth? And then the final, which in this context, uh, certainly uh, in my discussions with uh, Iman Un and um, Michael Walling, who produced um, uh, This Flesh is Mine, the third language, the political, how are you talking about the, the, the political landscape around you? And also, how are you discussing, acknowledging um, the way social relations within the rehearsal process are also uh, governed, structured by the 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 politics of privilege so when um, like a western company goes over to Palestine there is an inherent privilege there Um, what was interesting I mean the aesthetic language it's very kind of rehearsals are in, in themselves beautiful processes they can be difficult they can be complicated but they're not impossible you know, part of the rehearsal process is basically to, you know, everyone in the room is agreeing on a physical vision of what they're reading on the page. Um, and again, the methodological, so how are performers directors approaching, um, uh, the rehearsal process itself? And I noticed with, um, uh, our sign is the stone, the play produced by, um, by the Freedom Theatre in response to um, the violence taking place in Nabi Saleh was that they would, at the start of rehearsals and the end of rehearsals, they had, um, they established a kind of ritual of entering in and exiting that, that space. And that could be through um, theatre games it could be through discussion, you know, analysis of the script and so on. The political one was you know, everyone I spoke to said that this was actually the most difficult to establish a common political language. Um, and something um, Emil Sabah, who's an actor at um, Ashtar Theatre, told me was that um, Uh, If you want to produce a play about Palestine, you have to come here and see things for yourself. Because there's something, there's a difference between reading about um, uh, oppression and seeing it with your own eyes. And the company that produced, the the British company um, that that collaborated in producing um, This Flesh is Mine saw that for themselves, the act of... um, walking through the old city of Jerusalem, uh, going through Kalandia checkpoint, um, looking around and seeing, oh, okay, the Palestinian villages are here, but the uh, the settler colonies are all on a hill, looking down at us in a very Kafkaesque sort of uh, manner that that kind of witnessing it leaves a mark on you as a as a creative as a director as an artist, so then they found that through this act of witnessing of seeing of, exp- of of their own embodied experiences the way they were talking about the politics of the play so they they established a way of talking about the political situation around them, but they found that that also um uh, affected how they talked about the politics within the play and establishing this language um, in particular for this flesh is mine, was very important because um, I mean anyone who's familiar with the Iliad the the basic premise is that um, Helen is kidnapped to Troy uh, the Trojans kidnap Helen and that sparks the great the great war Uh, I mean in a play that resonates with Palestine um, this idea that uh, group A stole something that belonged to group B and then a conflict emerged out of that is very problematic so in order to discuss well what do we do about Helen in this play because the Palestinians are very uncomfortable about keeping her in there and so were the British uh, actors they had to establish this political language to understand, in order to understand what uh, in a Palestinian context, uh, Helen symbolized. So in the end with that particular play, through establishing these various languages, um, Helen wasn't embodied on stage. There was no actor playing Helen, but I mean, in in a really interesting way, I mean, she was there because the entire thing is about her but actually the focus was taken on, uh, Brise- uh, sorry, Briseis, one of the, um, the other characters who in the original Iliad uh, plays a very minor role at the beginning to kind of be the spark because um, uh, she's the war booty that's stolen from Achilles and then Achilles uses that as, an excuse to remove his army from the battlefield. Um, so, this idea that Briseis is captured war booty took on a different kind of resonance um, with, the, with both the Palestinian and the British actors. So, in the final draft, she acquired a much more um, complex uh, presence in the play. And also, that brought up questions of, well, you know, when Achilles gives her the offer, you know, at the end of this one, I'm going to take you back to. Uh, to Greece and she refuses so the question so her um, her categorical refusal to leave the land of Troy also resonates with you know pa- Palestinian resistance um, which is uh, captured in the word *sumud*. to this uh, this uh, resilience of staying on the land, refusing to move from it, no matter how terrible it gets,
1: yeah, I think what what you just um described uh, I think for me um uh, is is a, a very complex narrative structure um uh, and I just because I now see a question popping up, and I want to encourage the audience um here uh, to just use the q and a uh, panel if if you want to, and we bring in those questions um at a time. Uh, but what I wanted to jump uh, on uh, now with with what you described as kind of the um, becoming of the political narrative within the play in reference and in, in a very uh, active and engaged conversation about this context of all participants, be they Palestinians, be they foreigners joining the production and perhaps also eventually the audience members. Um, I wanted to uh, speak to you about uh, another example that you have in the book um, that both you and I in different years had an opportunity to participate in, which takes this kind of, um, uh, well, political context really to the forefront of the um, um, aesthetic narrative, if you will, of a production, namely the Freedom Ride, uh, a project Mm -hmm. by the Freedom Theater, um, which uh, was produced several years, once once a year. Um, It's kind of just to give the audience a little bit of a... um, uh, idea. It's, it's, it's a tour throughout the West Bank that kind of features, um, very prominent sites of political resistance, um, and a group of, uh, participants that is comprised of both international, um, visitors, activists, academics, scholars, theater makers, whomever, um, and also local Palestinian activists, academics, uh, theater students, um, to tour together through the West Bank, um, visit, um, villages like Nabi Saleh, for example, um, any, anywhere else like really from the north to the south and in the year that I was um, participating Jerusalem was actually for the first time ever um, part of the uh, uh, what's it called the tour plan if you will um, but it was really uh, a tour for me in my own personal experience that um, took this discourse okay. about uh, h- how do we navigate the, the political space um, and how do we the witnesses how, how are we able to actually Um, empathise with um, struggles that, particularly as an international visitor, we may not know for for ourselves. Um, How did you experience this? I mean, as I said, we we attended in different years and our roles were slightly different. Um, But I think both of us were, in fact, um, participating observers in in, in a sense and also uh, declaredly so said this is going to be a case study. So so what was your experience of that? And just to tie it back to the theater, during this ride, um, many of the sites visited, um, we did like different activities, like rebuilding things that were Mm. being destroyed by, um, well, people. Um, But uh, we also had the possibility to uh, attend playback theater performances that were brought up by um, a troupe of performers that were traveling with us. And I think that combination was really strong, sometimes really somewhat overpowering because it was a very dense schedule the year that I attended. And it was just a tour de force of of everything you ever wanted to witness about um, the Palestinian struggle. And I thought it was really interesting that theatre played such a dominant role in, in such a highly political tour. So maybe you have some thoughts on
2: that as well. Mm, um, yes, I I, um, I, was on the 2016 Freedom... So, so, OK, just to explain, sort of reiterate what the Freedom Ride is. Um, so the the, the Freedom Theatre took in, inspiration from the... Um, the Freedom Riders of the 60s in in the United States, so at the time when so concurrent to the bus boycotts that were taking place um, you 'd have a group of um, uh, black activists who would just ride buses um, across across America um, to highlight the, um, the effects of segregation. So um, the Freedom Theater took inspiration from this and established the Freedom Ride, which is a tour of the West Bank, as you said, um, with international participants um, through sites of popular resistance. So uh, places like Versaille in the in the south, it, it, the, um, the the South Hebron Hills, the the Jordan Valley where um, residents are living under settler-colonial um, attacks. Um, attacks from the army, destruction of basic necessities for life, such as, you know, the clay oven outside the um, um, the cave in which people are living. Um, so, um, so I participated on, on the 2016 ride as um, as a coordinator, so, so I mean, unfortunately for me, I think um, it would have been better if I did it as a participant and then did it as a coordinator. So I was expe- experiencing the same thing in two different ways. Um, the, the other thing um, about myself being in Palestine, and I talk about my privilege as a Westerner, but I am also a particular kind of Westerner. I'm not white, um, I'm brown skinned. So many times, walking through uh, occupied spaces or um, or soldiers, uh, I was always sort of reminded in my body of how, growing up in London, uh, boys of my background and the neighbourhood I was growing up in would approach the police. Or look at, or, or more, rather not look at the police. You know, there were sort of resonances there. I'm not saying they were identical, but there were like the experience of racism. Um, so, so me being in that space, it also made me very aware. That, there were, there were, that I was kind of in the middle between Palestinians who, some of whom, especially the Bedouins, I don't look much different from. In fact, I had one Bedouin telling me that he thought I was one of them, um, his, his words. Um, and on the other side, a group of 16, 17 white people on what uh, after a while seemed to me like a tragedy tour. Um, the, the, the motives behind the Freedom Ride, so you have internationals coming in, the act of witnessing and their task is to write blogs, take photos, and then go back to their own communities, wherever they're from, Mo- and most of them are actually from Western countries, um, and organize events and, you know, publicity and education events for their communities. That's all great, that's, that's a great intention. Um, and at the same time, they 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 stay with local families, they stay in local villages, and they might help, as you say, to build infrastructure. So it could be a wall, it could be a, a, a well, or whatever the community needs. Um, but there's a lot to be said for this kind of witnessing. That, you know, they, w- w- what seemed to me um, a lot of the time with the Freedom Ride was that. There was no kind of um, explicit um, attempt at questioning the politics of this kind of witnessing. Why, for, why, for example, um, is there this, uh, this, um, uh, this desire to build links with people living in Western countries when there are links that can be made elsewhere as well? and I didn't see much of that luckily in the in the year that I was on the Freedom Ride they had an Indian company uh, Janam um, the, the, the Freedom Theatre had done a sort of collaboration with them it's the first collaboration I've heard of between a Palestinian theatre company and one from the global south I mean an active collaboration um, so you had actors from the Freedom Theatre going to Delhi uh, staying with them and then the Delhi actors coming to Palestine and they were they it just happened that their tour um, ran concurrent to the Freedom Ride so they performed in places that where we um, we encamped as well and they made that they did performances for local residents Um, but again we come back to that question don't we of what is what exactly is this kind of solidarity? Um, there was one playback uh, performance, the first one, where. and for people who don't know playback, what playback theater is, it's a way of um, using theater as a form of therapy to address trauma. So you'd have um, a group of highly trained actors and they have to be very, very highly trained and very attuned to their audience. It's incredible when you watch a uh, playback theatre uh, performance that's kind of top-notch, it's, it's phenomenal what they can do. So you have um, uh, the group of actors and, uh, Kristen, is it the teller? No, the teller is the member of the audience who comes up with their story. And then you have the it's person- The conductor, me- I believe. The conductor, the, the person who mediates between the yeah. audience <laughs> member and the actors. So <laughs> someone from the audience comes up, tells their story of, you know a traumatic experience, The coordinator will uh, ask questions to elicit emotion, a sense of place, a context, and then mediate that to the actors who will perform a scene or a set of scenes around that. And then the coordinator asks, so the conductor asks the uh, the teller, the audience member, uh, to reflect on what they've seen, if it was accurate or not, and what they would change. Um, so the first one we had was in Janine, just before the, um, the, the bus left for, um, uh, for, for the tour. And um, the conductor invited the internationals to tell a story. So the first story we had was from a woman from Germany who told us the story of how difficult it is to travel with two passports. And the questions that she gets from theater, uh, sorry, uh, from airport security staff, from um, air stewards, and so on and so forth. So what I mean is, there's there seemed this kind of absence of reflection that actually being able to travel on two passports isn't really trauma. (laughs) You know, uh, there are people around you who are just unable to go from one village to the other. Um, but I mean, on the whole, um, over the years, the, the Freedom Ride, um, I, I mean, I, I say this as a reflection of my own experience coordinating the Freedom Ride, because it is very difficult to sort of um, manage the complex nexus of experiences and um, uh, personalities and so on in the room. It becomes very difficult, as you would know from your own experience. Um, But on the whole, in the long term, uh, from what I know uh, of the impact of the Freedom Ride, they do go off, the participants do go off and and they write articles, they set up events in their local communities to educate the public on um, what's happening out there on BDS, on fundraising as well for for different organisations.
1: Yeah, I think um, your descriptions now um, also tie back beautifully to some of the questions that we've received and I want to kind of dense them up a little bit in terms of um, uh, highlighting what you just mentioned, mainly this kind of laboring for solidarity that these practices, not only just the freedom right, but but very many pa- Palestinian theater um, productions um, seek um, in terms of like the solidarity within the Palestinian community. <laughs> itself. And, and when you first mentioned that um, you also have encountered quite a few um, Palestinians living nearby um, theaters and um, maybe uh, uh, not aware that there is actually a theatre um, so but using that performative space to uh, allow for a public discourse to happen and in, in the book you, you uh, call it also the public discourse and uh, helping in the um, formation of um, uh, a subject. The, the abject counterpublic public uh, subject formation, if you will. Um, perhaps we we, we can um, talk about this in, in a minute, but what I wanted to also um, kind of tie back when when you described for uh, the, the freedom righteous now with the question that we've received, um, uh, is there also kind of a problematic um, element of fetishization that may happen, um, that, that kind of this strong focus and ultimate focus on being political um, also... Uh, Mm, brings with it kind of a very essentializing images of this is the Palestinian struggle, this is the the, the Palestinian discourse. So I think there's um, uh, both you, you, you mentioned like kind of this um, the, the tragedy tour effect or also this what, what you started out with kind of this, this image of Palestinians as either terrorists or victims. So um, I think what, what I've observed in, in, in very many experiences of, of theater in Palestine but also in, in writing about it is that there's such a huge demand of of audiences, both local and international ones, um, to kind of see Palestine through the theater stages or in them and and find the narratives somewhat confirmed um, in in their own minds. They may have been um, uh, activists for a long time or they may really want to learn more. But this kind of framing capacity, that's theater in, in putting something on stage and... Staging a narrative is kind of a really powerful political tool. And I think um, one question we have here is, is also really interesting to me in, in how it also forces this narrative um, that may be problematically homogenizing in a way, particularly for international audience members who um, are being tasked with this idea of go back home, labor for for us and, and and like be in solidarity, be ambassadors. I think that was very strongly so um, a task um, of the freedom right, not of all other um, Palestinian theater practices, but I thought that yeah, there is a nexus there that I find very interesting and, and politically remarkable.
2: Yeah, I, I think there's, a, there's an element of fetishization going on, um, people sort of locked in a discourse of victimhood. Um, people that must be helped, people that must be saved. Um, there was an article um, I read a few years ago on the NGOization of um, uh, the, the West Bank economy. Um, the, and the author refers to this sort of um, battalion of NGO workers as the missionaries of the modern era. And in a sense, that's that's what it is, Um, this idea of of saving people. Um, I mean, I've never in any of my research come across Palestinians refer to themselves as, you know, this sort of in this kind of um, discourse of victimhood. Yes, factually, they are victims of Israeli um, settler colonialism, but not in the sense that, you know, they, they are locked therein forever. Um, Palestinians, in my experience, uh, the, the Palestinians that I've spoken to have, have um, discussed their experiences in terms of um, the struggle to fight, the struggle to resist, And resistance and fighting, they are active words. They are not passive words, they are active words. They are not the words of people that just sit by and see themselves as victims and nothing can be done. The problem is that the way many Westerners enter the West Bank and their encounter with Palestinians, this seems to be the only lens through which they're able to watch a Palestinian play. Um, So back to the question, what they have a theater, it's this idea that people who are locked in this kind of victim state—it's um, surprising and brave and wonderful that they're all coming together to produce art. But art has existed in Palestine for hundreds and hundreds of years. It would exist; it's existed there before, and it will exist a uh, hundred years hence. So, do you see? Do you, does that? It's a, I mean, my experience on the Freedom Ride with um, with white activists and um, other British activists. um, These sort of uh power structures became very sort of apparent to me. So um I I try um I mean I, I don't think I've gone into sort of um that greater length discussing discussing these things in, in the book but they're important to talk about um because they also frame how solidarity is done what solidarity is what it looks like um and that brings us all kinds of problematic sort of questions doesn't it
1: um and it also I think brings us uh, to to another question namely that of kind of what, what well being trained in, in a western institution um that I was myself a part of for for very many years um there is this uh ideal that I think with researching applied theater kind of gets a little bit shaken, um, very much so, in fact, what uh, if there is any kind of freedom of the arts, in a way, as a practice, w- whatever freedom is, whatever arts are, but um, what, what we're discussing for, for um, uh, now is kind of what you just also said, like the, the practitioners struggle to participate in fighting and resisting and in contributing um, to the national liberation struggle of Palestinians and kind of the very clearly saying, what what else would we do it for? And I think that kind of um, is perhaps a question that theatre practitioners them uh, everywhere the world over need to ask themselves, like, what, what are we doing it for, really? Um, do we just yeah. want to play around, and I'm not belittling the, this um, La Polar kind of approach to, to any kind of cultural practice, but um, this being nestled into such political need and demand to really... Uh, with impact contribute to the struggle is is kind of really such a huge task for for practitioners uh, and and audience members in a way if you will um to to find their place in you know being just artists um really not not saying that this, there is anything inherently wrong with that um, but at the same time being cultural resistance fighters and I think that there is um, um a different kind of freedom at stake, if it's not the freedom of art, but the freedom of um, Palestine or Palestinians in, in learning about these mm. things and, and being exposed to the stories and, and experiences of others in, in the narratives that plays enable mm. uh, to be witnessed. Mm.
2: There was something you um, said there about the uh, politics of the academic scene. I mean. We as academics are also witnesses. So, so on the Freedom Ride, um, I was a witness in two different ways: as a as a participant on the on the Freedom Ride, but also as an academic who has some understanding of uh, the context in which we're um, we're riding. Uh, many participants, for example, didn't you know; they had very basic understanding of what was happening. What they were seeing, um, so so there's a there's a there's a responsibility on us to witness and report, um, and many of our um, theatre colleagues in the West Bank um, work under appalling conditions, um, you know, and these have been very well well documented. Um, so a couple of years ago. Um, A group of colleagues and I actually wrote an article um, in the journal Theatre Survey, just calling for a discussion about how we, as theatre scholars and academics, can show solidarity or support to our theatre, to theatre practitioners who are also our colleagues in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. Um, The article didn't call for anything except um, a discussion, about BDS and what that might look like in an in a theatre um, uh, studies uh, context. Um, usually, um, anything to do with BDS creates a storm of controversy, you know. And we were kind of expecting something like that, but there was complete silence. There was no. There were no angry letters to the editor about publishing this article, which we were surprised by. But the discussion that we'd wanted to take place did not take place. There was no response to this. Now, I don't know how to explain that kind of silence. And I think it would be unfair of me to try and infer some kind of intention of my colleagues. But that silence needs to be talked about and interrogated and replaced with a, a frank discussion. Because we uh, theatre companies will tell you that every year they get hundreds of requests from BA students, master's students, PhD researchers, wanting to, um, to study their work. But we can't just go in and then leave and get our degrees and then continue with our careers. There has to be something structural and institutional in a way that we can, um, there has to be a, an institutional, a structural way of supporting our colleagues. But that discussion has yet to come. So, so solidarity, again, when I really think about it, is um, it, it, it's, 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 it's a complicated or maybe it's a complex terrain. I, I don't know how to explain this, this silence from our colleagues.
1: Yeah, but it was very audible, the silence, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I have uh, one question that takes us slightly away from this unanswerable silenced question (laughs) Um, and uh, I want to also thank the other people who type questions Uh, this one here is from Maha and I'm going to just read it it's several question marks so bear with me uh, it may just be several questions but I thought that there is something in it that um, I personally also wondered oftentimes about so there goes why do you think there is a lack in awareness of the existence of theatre companies and theatre activities in the West Bank among Palestinians would you agree this is because the majority of productions are usually targeted at a particular type of audience that is detached from the reality of the daily life of a Palestinian. In other terms, it's not produced with the Palestinian themselves in mind. Um, there is another part, but um, just to also uh, create a, a follow-up of this, um, we, we've discussed quite, quite a bit that um, these productions oftentimes also tour internationally. And we've discussed also examples now where um, an international audience within palestinian spaces in palestine um, would be a, a large part of the audience so perhaps that kind of production attitude g- comes back to this um, developing a shared um uh, or devising this this mutual language in terms of uh, the political language but i thought that this was a really interesting question in terms of the the production style like who do you do it for and it's also bringing us back to the question of of solidarity in in ever so many ways um and how how the theatre contributes to this kind of framing of a specific narrative for perhaps and and I would like you to to think about this a bit um, uh, a specific audience uh, that is you know maybe found or not found in in Palestine. Uh, um,
2: I, I mean, this is this is also I, I mean I think Mahas um, right. Um, um, a lot of the plays that go on international tours they're actually um, the products of um, arts development funds so where where funding bodies are based in Europe or America there there is there is sometimes a requirement that they that they work with um, a company based in the, um, the funding country um, and that company will always try to bring the production over to wherever they're based. Um, there is an element of um, if, if these plays are, are gonna end up somewhere like London or uh, Berlin, then they have to be also uh, consumable by a London or a Berlin audience. Um, storytelling in different traditions is very different. In, in different cultures, it's very different. Uh, so so the story itself, the product itself has to be consumable and I think Maha is right um, to the extent that a lot of these plays do have a type of audience in mind um, that as she says is detached from daily life. Um, the audiences that I observed um, going to see um, this flesh is mine were very middle class, very middle upper class um, Ramalawis, the um, educated, um, prosperous, um, they could speak English, um, well-traveled, etc. Um, and when I put this to Michael Walling, who was the co-director of, of the play, he said, yes, um, our audience was a bit of a closed shop. Um, so, but But that's not to say that theatres, they don't try hard to bring local audiences to local productions. And, you know, but... There's an occupation going on, yeah. so someone, someone from a remote village, um, has to navigate through multiple kinds of occupied spaces in order to attend a festival, uh, or, a, 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 or a performance. What theatre companies often do is they they tour locally. So, for example, um, a play by. Um, uh, Nizar Zawabi, the, um I think is based in Haifa. Um, his play, um, My Name is Yusuf, which was performed at the Young Vic, um, I think it was back in 2010 or something. Um, that toured um, Palestine before it arrived in the UK. Um, the Siege, for example, um, the, 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 um, the Freedom Theatre produced, before it came to the UK, it was performed in Janine as well. The other thing to bear in mind when we're talking about audiences in this way is that audiences in different parts of the West Bank, East Jerusalem, um, the 48 territories, they're very different. So a Janine audience is not, is not often the same as um, a Ramallah audience. A Janine audience is basically residents from Janine refugee camp um a rawad performance for example much the same the ida refugee camp so you know so we have to also be aware of you know what kind of audiences we're talking about
1: yeah and i think also what you just mentioned brings me back to another question that i only just now saw Um, kind of the the fragmentation of the um palestinian geographical um space um be that the West Bank, um, with the different settlements that you can't really pass by or um, traverse, uh, be that Gaza, uh, the productions within Gaza, you, we, it, they're not within the scope of your book. But if you want to say something, if you uh, you could you could um, mention some things. But what what I um, just now heard and also saw for myself, this. Um, mm, the understanding for very many um, theatre makers in in the West Bank and in companies in the West Bank that um, your book focuses on is to actually really make it accessible. And if if that means people from remote villages cannot travel to to Ramallah and see it in in the theatre. Uh, building itself, um the production is tailored in a way so that it can be kind of traveling and traversing the space that it oth- otherwise... Um, yeah wouldn't...
2: absolutely, uh, uh, yeah and um, the audience of This Flesh is Mine would have had to be able to speak English in order to um, watch the play. Yeah, um, But most most plays um, themselves are in, in Arabic or mostly in Palestinian Arabic in fact. So and, and also, I mean, you, you know the, the actors themselves are Palestinians who, um, who are um, embedded in those networks, local networks. So to say that um, a performance is made solely with a, with a touring audience is in mind, it's partly correct, but it's not in the entire story, because rehearsal, producing a play is a process. You know, if it's a six week rehearsal process and that's six weeks worth of discussions and arguing and, you know, compromising and negotiating. So, you know, it's a bit more layered than just, you know, this play is produced for this audience.
1: Yeah. Um, we only have a couple of minutes left. So I want to come back to one of the questions that was asked earlier. Uh, well, actually, it was the first one to, to um, arrive um, by some, someone called John Kay. I hope I'm pronouncing the name correctly. Gabriel, you are yourself a brilliant playwright. Thank you, Jen. I agree. (laughs) How did that experience um, of being a playwright, if I understand correctly, um, influence your research? And I want to connect it with a question that I also thought I wanted to ask you. You you write um, or you have written the book uh, from within an academic discourse. Um, We're discussing it in this um, academic frame now. But I think very many people, be they academics or not, um, will find your book super accessible in in terms of how you chose to um, write and and which style of of, um, Um, uh, wording you chose and how um, accessible in a way um, the the research that you carried out um, uh, is for for um, readers but um, Mm. I think this this question of like being a writer and and how um, such an experience of researching and then putting it on words is something that um, I wanted to just as a kind of parting Mm. (laughs) uh, question pose to you
2: Um, First of all, I'm not a brilliant playwright and Mm -hmm. I don't say that out of modesty. I'm not one of those people that's plagued with modesty. I'm telling you, I'm not a brilliant playwright, Uh, but I have uh, written and directed plays. So how did that experience influence my research? Well, um, working in theatre, it kind of gives you an idea of the the inner workings, Um, how to behave in a rehearsal room that's not your own. Um, When to approach actors, when not to approach them, Uh, but also understanding the the sort of close readings of playtexts and so on, um, um, analyzing character, world building and so on. So um, in terms of writing, and um, thank you for saying it's accessible. Um, I, I mean, that's what I was trying to... Make sure the book was accessible uh, reading because the, 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 the primary audience that I had in mind for the book were the people I was interviewing. Um, I was in, um, a, a, when I started my, um, my field work, the very first field work that I went on, um, I was interviewing um, a, a, a director and I just mentioned to him that um, that I'd read an analysis of one of his uh, plays in a book written by an American scholar. And uh, what are his opinions on on this uh, scholar's um, uh, conclusions? A a Palestinian director, I mean. Um, He pointed to a bookshelf behind me and he said, it's there, I haven't picked it up because the language is so hard to understand. There's an accessibility question here, right? I mean, the the people that we're interviewing, that essentially we're writing about should be able to, you know, access. I mean, they shouldn't require like four degrees in order to read this book, which is essentially about them. So so that was the primary audience. The second audience were actually theatre practitioners. Um, And the third audience were my friends who, most of whom are not academics. And the final audience was actually the academics. So, so that in the writing, in turning the dissertation into a book, I was able to kind of think through these different types of audiences and try and adjust the the, the register accordingly. At the end of the day, I mean, um, academic writing can only be rigorous, and you know, I and I hope the book is rigorous, but I was mainly striving for accessibility because the thing is. Um, we can't talk about political theatre, any kind of political theatre, without also talking about Palestinian theatre. And when I started this, um, this research, Palestine was actually absent from that conversation. Wherever I applied to do my PhD, this was the response I got. It's such an important area of study that no one's done. And it's so integral to talking about political theatre. We can't talk about migration and theatre without talking about Palestinian theatre. We can't talk about refugees and theatre without talking about Palestinian theatre or prisoners and theatre without talking about Palestinian theatre. There are so many entry points and so many discussions that Palestinian theatre opens up and connects with. Um, so, so I so whilst making sure that the book is academically and theoretically rigorous, I wanted to make sure that it was accessible to people working in those fields, as well.
1: Brilliant! Th- thank you for creating such an excellent kind of uh, exiting point, because I think we're we're going to in fact close this webinar very soon. Um, I want to thank you, Gabriel, for for giving us such beautiful insights and such accessible insights. And I think particularly your last words now um, really um, should alert everybody that um, any discussion, not any discussion, but very many uh, discussions that we want to have on political uh, topics um, surely have different fields of uh, inquiry, and uh, we can learn from those different kind of inquiries and, and looking at fields that may seem a little off on the uh, political, uh, you know, day to day news, but but will teach us a lot about um, the struggles that those uh, daily news kind of report on. So thank you very much for for uh, allowing us this view in. I hope everybody uh, has a better understanding of um, what we've been discussing. Uh, thank you very much to uh, the Kenyan Institute and Taufik, You wanted to say a few words and. Um,
0: well, I simply wanted to thank you both for a very interesting uh, webinar today. Uh, from what we saw today, we basically had more than fifty people. In the height of summer, during a pretty peak time of the year, you know, of the day, uh, hanging out just to ask their questions and listen to what you had to say. So I think that sort of demonstrates a, fair, a fairly large and widespread interest in this topic. And I myself wanted to raise some questions that I feel weren't able to be answered. So I kind of look forward to being able to. Check out a copy of the book when it's available or when will we can get a copy of it here. I congratulate you on the book and I thank you Dr. Flade as well for your uh, discussion. You, you, you were able to facilitate a very interesting discussion. Uh, please check out the book. It uh, c- came out this recently from Palgrave uh, this past March. Uh, uh, support your local bookshop if you can, of course. This uh, webinar overall has been sponsored by the Council for British Research in the Levant. And uh, please check us out on the website. A recording of this talk will be made available probably in the next 24 hours, which you can download and share or whatnot, as well as you can find on our website um, our future upcoming webinars and all the different things that we do regarding research in the Levant. So check us out, become a member, uh, find us at cbrl.ac.uk. So thank you for your time here today. Thank you to our discussion and our speaker and have a good evening.